Give her a hug tonight. Give her a high five. Give her a hug. Tell her happy birthday. Hey, let's pray. God, you are good, and we are thankful that uh, that you've brought us here. Um, I'm thankful that you've brought me here to, to pastor these students, and I'm thankful that you've brought these students here to um, enjoy each other and enjoy fellowship with you. And so tonight, as we open your word, touch our hearts and speak to our lives, we pray this for your beautiful name. Amen. Um, okay, so need to do a little catch-up since we weren't here last week. I find that when I take a week off from anything, it's like I never was there. And so need to do a little bit of review. Um, we are in the middle of a series called What is Our Mission? And so the first week of the series, we talked about the answer to the question, what is the mission of God? Okay, so we said that the chief end, the main goal of God is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And so God is ultimately God-centered um, God revolves around God. God is all about God. Um, God is about praising God. And so that's the mission of God. And so um, we said this, if, if God is about God's glory, is he not for our joy? Is that, are those two things competing for each other? And so I framed it like this. If God is the most glorious, most beautiful, most righteous being in the universe, what gift could he give you and me that is better than himself? And again, if you have an answer to that question, that thing is your God. Week two, we talked about if that's God's mission, what should be the mission of the church? Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus clearly says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. And if you remember, the church kind of went from 11 guys on a hilltop who were fishermen, who were tax collectors, kind of common guys, um, went from 11 guys on a hilltop to now how many people sitting in this room, in this church, there's 470 churches in Polk County. So how does it happen where 11 guys on a hilltop Go and then the word of God spreads over 2,000 years, and now um, really Christianity is spreading to all corners of the globe. How does that happen? We said that out of joy, the church multiplies, the church goes. And then the week before spring break, we talked about the fact that a core tenet, a main focus of, of our ministry, is that we're going to be gospel centered. And so, really, we looked at the tension between. Um, religion versus irreligion, or maybe legalism versus license, or maybe, you know, you try to make God like you, you try to be okay with God by the things that you do, by following the rules, or maybe you try to run away from the rules, you try to escape the reality of God, and say, well, if I do that, I'm liberated, I don't have to follow the rules. And those are really the two opposite and equal enemies of the gospel. And so, um, we really said that from Ephesians 1, God saves you because it's to the praise of his glorious grace. It had nothing to do with you and me, um, and that's kind of where we camped out there. If you went on the Camp Grace trip, here was kind of our main takeaway from that. Um, and this kind of all ties in. <clears throat> it's that the pursuit of God must be the pursuit of joy. Because to pursue him with joy is what it really means to worship him. And so to pursue God with your heart, with your desires, um, Psalm 37.4 would say it like this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So that's kind of a real brief synopsis of where we've been over the last several weeks. Now, the question that we're going to answer tonight, here's kind of what we have to ask and what we have to answer. I think it's kind of natural. I think it kind of flows out of what we've been talking about. Because if a disciple is someone who forsakes everything for the sake of walking with God, if a disciple is someone who says, I'm willing to leave beside my mother, my brothers, my sisters, my family, my job, my everything in order to follow Jesus, here's the question we have to answer. Does life go better with Jesus? Does life go better with Jesus? So if we're supposed to pursue joy in Christ, 
does this mean that life goes better or that life is easier with Jesus? Um, one of the reasons that I ultimately almost walked away from faith in God and, and really believing that he was real, um, I say almost, and we'll get to kind of that, but um, one of the reasons is because I, I kind of felt like I was doing a lot of things for God and he wasn't doing a lot of things for me. Like, I felt like if, if I'm supposed to follow God, then he's supposed to make my life easier. Like, if it's supposed to be better with him, then why is he not making it better? And so, I mean, I grew up in, in kind of moralism, just trying to do things in order to make myself acceptable to God. And I never really felt satisfaction in that. So I never saw the outcome. Um, and then bad things happened in my life. Like, when I was 10, my parents got divorced. It was real ugly. Like, not going to drop any names, but there was some infidelity there. There was a lot of hurt. Real ugly, messy divorce kind of really wrecked my childhood, wrecked my sister, and, and really some, some terrible consequences um, from that. And so, um, you know, for me, I just always have thought my, parent, my, my family's perfect. My, we had this kind of air of perfection in the church. Like we were kind of one of the main families that comprised the church. And so I just thought, man, how, how could this happen? Why did this happen? And then really the last straw for me where I just almost went over the ledge and said I don't buy into this God thing anymore is when he took away my dream. Like you guys know, and, and Peyton was passing around the pictures at Camp Grace. He used to have the long hair and the tattoos. The whole dude, I actually still have the tattoos. Those things stay around. They, they're there forever. Uh, just FYI. Okay. Um, but it used to be my dream to just really be on a stage like this every night, um, playing music that I had written, and for just hundreds of people to be in the room praising and glorifying me. And, and what's crazy about that is that I actually took it so far that I tricked myself into thinking that God had called me into doing that. So like that God was about me being glorified and that God was all about me achieving my dream and you can be whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, and God wants you to just be happy. So, so when God took all that away, I got pretty angry. I just began to say, like, this Christian thing is not really working out for me. Like, where's the payoff? How, how does that happen? How does that work? And so um, then the most famous uh, words in the Bible, but God. Probably the best words in the Bible, but God. He regenerated me to faith, changed my life, and really changed my definition of what it means to have a good life. Change my definition of what it means to have a good life. So we're coming up on Easter. Um, I'll never forget Easter of 2011. I was leading worship at a church, um, and I was doing two services, kind of like we have, an early service and a late service. And so I had been there since about 7 a.m. Um, this was after the first service. I was backstage uh, just kind of waiting, killing time until the second service, and I was checking my Facebook. Um, they did have that back then. Um, just in case you weren't aware. <clears throat> so I was checking my Facebook account, and, and as I'm doing that, Easter Sunday morning, you know, you've got things like people saying, He is risen, praise God, he, everyone's excited, and then, and then I scroll down my Facebook feed, and, and here's the words that I see. Um, <clears throat> the, the mom of my best friend in the world, um, his, his name is Chase, and Chase has a, a, a friend that he grew up with named Tony. They were a lot like brothers. The mom of my best friend in the world simply wrote, man, pray, pray for Chase today because he just lost his best friend in the world. I'm thinking, man, what's happened? So, so our dear friend, Tony, was driving late at night in East Texas um, on a kind of a backcountry road, hit a puddle of water, uh, and man, hit a tree, and at the age of 24, just died instantly. 
Easter Sunday morning just just died, and and so I and I don't remember a whole lot other than just like emotion, just crying, just kind of um, being confused about why this happened. I'm I'm feeling deeply for my best friend who has just lost someone who's like a brother to him, um, and so ultimately get someone to cover that second service for me, and then go to my friend's apartment, and man, all I can do in that moment is just cry and hug him. Because, like, I've lost a friend, but he's lost a brother, and he's like a brother to me. And so all I can do in that moment is just, just hug this guy. And just kind of even weakly squeak out the words, like, it's going to be okay. I don't know how, but it's going to be okay. But, but all we're doing is just hugging, just sitting. I mean, for hours, just sitting and crying and, and not really saying a word. Because there's not much, to be honest, that you can say in that moment. But there was a sweetness to it. There was a, a, a kind of a, a joy to it that was hard to explain. A few days later, we drive to East Texas for the funeral, about a three-hour drive from where I was at. And we pull up to the church, and we're probably 30 minutes early, and the auditorium seats about 1,000 people, I, I think, if I'm getting these numbers right. And, and man, there was about, there had to be 1,500 people there. I mean, just 1,500 people. And, and people gave testimony, and, and people talked, and people shared. And, and what I heard was this. Time and time and time again is that, man, Tony just loved Jesus. Like, Tony just loved Jesus. And so right now, he's with Jesus. And, and, and man, he just loved Jesus. He loved to tell people about Jesus. And, and he loved to use his gifts and talents to, um, to exalt Jesus. And he served in the youth group. And he served here. And he served there. And he loved people. And he just loved Jesus. And now he gets to be with him. And so that was the first time in my life that I looked at suffering um, through the lenses of, man, this is inexplicable, this is horrible, I cannot explain what's going on, but somehow, someway, there is a deep sense of joy in this room right now. There's a deep sense of joy in this room right now. The, the, the funeral, in fact, was one of the most worshipful services I've ever been in. Now, that's kind of crazy, um, because... Like, circumstances were lower than they'd ever been in my life. Like, that was probably, up until that point, one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. One of the worst things that I've, I've experienced. I mean, I just hadn't gone through a lot of loss, a lot of suffering. And here's a good friend of mine um, at 24 years old that, that just dies, just ceases to exist. And, and those things are hard to understand. And here's what happened is that circumstances were so low, lower than I'd ever seen before. And yet, there was a joy. There was a joy. How does that happen? Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. Paul writes this. Therefore, since we have been, what's that word? Justified. Starts out with the gospel. Starts out with the gospel. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's a profound passage. You see what Paul's doing here? 
um, you see what's happening? Uh, Paul is saying that because of the gospel, he starts out with justification. He says that because of that, we are rejoicing in suffering. We are rejoicing despite circumstances being lower than they've ever been before. Why? Because it's producing something. Look what it says there. We rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So these things are being produced. Now, um, we talk about endurance, character, and hope. What is this hope in? Look back at verse 2. He says this. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of of God. Now that's kind of interesting because we said in week one that God is all about God. Okay, so God is all about God's glory. God's main mission, God's main goal is to exalt God's glory. And what Paul is saying here is that in suffering, in times of just inexplicable pain, in times where circumstances are lower than they've ever been before, the one thing that we hope in is God's glory. The one thing that we hope in is that God is all about God. Like, isn't that kind of crazy? Isn't that, like, maybe you would think, oh, well, we just hope that God's going to comfort us and make us feel better. No, what he says is that we hope in God's glory. We hope in the fact that God is all about God. So let's talk about this for a little bit because I think we need to camp here and just, and just understand what it means to hope in the glory of God. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 4. I, I want you to see this. This is been on my heart for a long time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me give you a little context. Paul is talking in this passage about um, his joy despite enduring suffering for the sake of God. Okay? Now, let's just talk about Paul. Because I like I'm in here and I'm a pretty privileged guy. Like I haven't been through a lot of suffering. I just told you that one of the worst things I've endured is losing a friend. Um, and so really haven't lost a close family member, haven't um, been through cancer, haven't been through, I mean, been through parents' divorce, that kind of thing, but I haven't been through just a ton of suffering, and maybe some of you guys have. Like, I, I just want to say I know there's some of you guys that have been through, man, you know, parents taken off, parents passing away, um, never having even met your parents, or maybe parents just are kind of neglecting, not around. So I know that you guys have been through that. But what I want to say to you is that Paul has the credibility to speak to you tonight, even if you think I don't. Like, even if you think, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about with regard to suffering. You don't know what I've been through. Let's talk about what Paul's been through for the sake of God. Um, this is just a list from 2 Corinthians 11. So there's more that, that's happened to Paul, but this is just kind of a short list. The first thing, imprisonments. And that's plural. So, like, being in prison multiple times. Okay? Uh, good. We're all together. Um, the second thing, countless beatings nearing death. So... He's been beaten almost to death more times than he can count. Um, five times he received the 40 lashes less one. That was a um, Jewish kind of, that was really the worst punishment, the most severe beating you could receive in Scripture according to the Jewish customs. So it was basically, they felt that if, if, um, if they were going to hit you with this whip, the 40th, um, the 40th lash would kill you. And so they stopped at 39. And uh, Paul got that five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent an entire day and night adrift at sea. Um, so if you've ever seen the film back in the day, Castaway, anyone? Before your time? So, um, like, Paul lived that thing. 
All right, there was no Wilson, there was no none of that, but he lived that thing, a day and night at sea, um, and, and, and so goes on to describe a lot of other things. Here's one of my favorites, too. Acts chapter 28, you can go back and look this up later. Um, during one of these shipwrecks, here's what's happening. Paul is being taken to Rome. Um, he's under house arrest, but he's being taken there so he can give a defense for his faith, for why he believes what he believes. And he's either, the outcome is not going to be pretty for him. Like, he's either going to stay in prison or he's going to get killed or at least have to endure persecution for his faith. So he's going there for that. On the way there, gets, uh, here comes a big storm, gets shipwrecked. This could have been the time where he spent a day and night at sea. But ultimately what happens is um, Paul makes his way to an island called Malta. Okay? So, like, I mean, like, just imagine the Tom Hanks thing. So he's just kind of washed up on this beach here. This is, I mean, go look it up in the Bible. If you've never read the story, it's ridiculous. He, he, he gets on the island, and he's gathering firewood to make himself, I mean, he's probably just hypothermia because he's been in the sea for a day, um, gathering firewood to make a fire, and gets bitten on the hand by a snake. And I, I'm just thinking, like, at this point, I'm, I'm going, I'm looking at God, and I'm like, are you serious? Like, um, imprisonment, um, shipwrecked, the storm, the whole deal, the day and night at sea, now I wash up, and now you're going to throw a snake at me? Like, seriously? So then the people of the island, kind of the native inhabitants, they come to him and they say, oh, um, you must be cursed, like Satan's punishing you right now because of your sin, because this viper is on your hand. Um, and then what happens is Paul kind of walks around with this snake dangling off his hand for a little while, and he doesn't die, and so the people then say, whoa, you must be a god, because you're not dying. Like, what a crazy roller coaster that is. That, go look it up. That's just a fun... So this is the context that Paul is talking about in chapter 4. The enormous amount of suffering. And not only that, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, his daily grind of caring for all the churches that he's planted, of praying for these people. Um, think about it. Like, Paul was one of the, the religious leaders in the Pharisaic community. So he had to forsake all his friends, all of his dreams, all of his goals... For the sake of the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about in this chapter. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to start in verse 16. This is crazy, crazy stuff. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Let me just stop there. This is going to be ironic for me to say this, especially if you're older than me in this room. Um, Jake and I were having a conversation at Camp Grace about the fact that when we were younger, 19, 20, 21, um, it seemed to be okay really to stay up for about a 20-hour period and then sleep for about a four-hour period and then do the whole thing over again. Um, and so that was like a perpetual thing, and I'm not going to go into what happened during those 20 hours, but I'm just saying that was kind of a perpetual thing for us. Wake up the next day, kind of no physical ailments, just ready to go. Um, but I'm 27, Jake's just recently turned 30, and we were just remarking about the fact that from 25 to 30, something happens, I don't know when, somewhere in there, you'll find out one day, it's going to be great, um, something happens in there where you just can't do that anymore. Like your body, um, if you do that, begins to say, no, 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 yeah. we ain't doing this. And so you get out of bed and things hurt that you never knew could hurt, like muscles are showing up that you never knew you had, and they hurt, and then you'll get a crick in your neck, and you can't turn your neck, this has happened to me, I'm serious, and the older people are laughing, but it's happened, and I'm, 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 but here's what I'm saying, is that I'm 27 years old, I'm a young guy, my body is dying, 
Like, like I somehow I've reached a point where no longer am I going up. My body is like, I can see it beginning to die. And you may think that's crazy because you're thinking, well, I'm just, I'm growing all the time. I'm doing, but, but I promise you the day is coming. Maybe it won't be 27. Maybe it'll be 30, 35, 40, whatever it is. You're going to realize it one day. That's what Paul is saying here. Let's go on. In verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's, let's talk about a couple of things here. Paul, Paul says that this affliction that he's going through, and he refers to just really his general being persecuted. So all the suffering that I talked about, um, he's, he calls it light and momentary. Question. If you've been shipwrecked, if you've been beaten to death, if you've been stoned, if you've been persecuted, are you able to call that light and momentary? Are you, are you able to call that light and momentary? See, suffering doesn't seem light and momentary when we're going through it, right? Your dad dies. Your kid dies. Your brother dies. Your mom gets cancer. You get a disease. You break your leg. You whatever. Fill in the blank. You're not calling that light and momentary, are you? Like, is Paul saying here that we're just supposed to walk around with some happy Christian smile on our face all the time with our Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt on where he's got the thumbs up and just walking around and that's how we're going to be a witness to the rest of the world? Is that what he's saying here? No. No, that's not what he's saying here. These things hurt. Suffering hurts. It's, it's not as if we just go around with a kind of a fake sense of, oh, everything's okay. No, here's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about joy. He's talking about joy, and joy is a deep-rooted satisfaction in Jesus alone, and we'll talk about this more in just a minute. Um, so he's saying that although suffering is difficult, it pales in comparison to what it's producing. So he's, he's comparing suffering to something else. What, what, is it, what is it preparing? What is he comparing it to? What does our suffering prepare? Look at it in verse 17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, glory is kind of a strange term. Like, it's not one that we can really wrap our minds around. It's not very tangible. You say, well, what is glory? Like, how is it preparing that? It's like churning up the butter. Like, what's it doing? How, how does that work? Let me give you an illustration. Um, so how many of you went to Camp Grace? Okay. How many of you actually um, said to yourself at the trip, I'm going to engage in this trip, I'm going to turn it. How many of you turned in your cell phones? Let's be honest. Cards on the table right here. Proud of you guys. Love you guys. All right. Um, so how many of you plugged into the trip, engaged in the trip, kind of engaged in the small group times, in your devotions, and really said, you know what? I had a great time on the trip. Genuine, fun time. Okay. How many of you enjoyed... Um, meeting people that you hadn't met before and engaging with them. Okay. Out of that group that, that, that had your hands raised, how many of you got home Friday night, you wake up Saturday morning, maybe Sunday morning, maybe you go to school on Monday morning, and, and how many of you felt this kind of 
empty feeling like, man, I wish I was still at Camp Grace. Okay. So why is that? So why is that? I find that so interesting. Here's why. Because last week at Camp Grace, those of you that raise your hand, those of you that are being honest, see, you got a taste of what glory is actually like. You got a taste of what heaven's going to be like. Because, man, I'm telling you, like, we've spent all year in here, and we've done a lot of combined sessions in here, and I've seen you guys, some of you talk to each other, like middle school, high school, but most of the time you stay in your little groups, and that's okay, but we get up there at Camp Grace, and there's no more groups, we shake it up, people are getting to know each other, people are seeing, people are loving, people are saying, you know what, this person is so ridiculously different from me, their background is so different from mine, and I don't care, because there's one thing that unites us, Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today that that's why you miss Camp Grace. Not because of sleeping in the cabin with your best buddy. Not because of the great food that we had. Not because of, I'm telling you, you miss Camp Grace because you got a taste of glory last week. You say, well, we were just sleeping in cabins and doing some work projects. Yes, but you were doing it together. You were doing it for someone else. And you were doing it joyfully. So a lot of you turned in your phones last week and you, you didn't have to worry about checking Facebook so you weren't worried about the selfie that you just took and someone commenting on it and saying that your outfit was really cute today and you weren't worried when you were, when you were doing the work projects you weren't worried about man what is this person going to think of me today and, and which group am I going to fit in today because we kind of jumbled up the groups and we forced you to, to be with people that you hadn't met before, and, and you guys were accepting and loving, and all of that was because of Jesus, and you did it all joyfully. You felt loved and accepted by God and people, and, and you didn't even realize it. Like a lot of you, like you're, you're thinking even now, yeah, he's kind of right. That was a weird feeling. How come we can't have that all the time? C.S. Lewis, um, he said this about glory, and it's, it's a quote on the front of your thing. He said that glory means good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. I love that. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. So glory, here's what glory is. Glory is total satisfaction in Christ. Glory is, is what you were created to enjoy. Glory is praising God, not worrying about me. It's not about me. It's standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and realizing that God is so big, so glorious, and that Jesus has made a way for you to relate to him. That's what glory is. So, uh, so last week, a lot of you experienced fulfillment in serving God for the benefit of others. You hear that? You experienced fulfillment in serving God for the benefit of others. In other words... You gained something by being selfless. You gained something by being selfless. You earned a reward that's much deeper than what satisfies here on earth. And so here's the crazy part about that. Though that feeling, if it hasn't already, though it will soon fade away, if you're a believer in Jesus, there's going to come a day where that feeling... It's not going to fade away. 
Like, there's going to come a day, I don't know when it is for you, for my friend Tony, it was at the age of 24, there's going to come a day where you say, if I put everything in God, if I've banked on Jesus, if I've trusted in His work for me and He alone is my treasure, if I've um, just trusted in His life, death, and resurrection, there's going to come a day where you get to see that, where you get to experience that, and it's no longer going to be this temporary thing that you just get a taste of at church. You get to experience it 24-7, all day long, without ceasing, forever and ever and ever, and that is an eternal weight of glory. How does that happen? Like, like how does that happen? How, you, you, know any, you know any of the seniors here at church, like any of the old people that are just, man, I mean, we have people here that are, look, let's just be honest, they're just old, right? And I've, I've, I've gotten to preach to them in senior size, and, and I read this passage to them one time. Wednesday mornings, senior size, right? <laughs> hey, if you ever get the chance, come on out. Yeah, senior size. Alan is there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I've, I've read this passage at a devotion in senior size, and man, I just hear nothing but amen. Amen. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. We're going to taste it. Look, you guys are 12 to 18 years old. You are the farthest thing away from death until it actually happens. And God forbid that happens to any of you right now, but you are the farthest thing away from death until it happens, but they are so close. They can taste it. They can feel it. That's an eternal weight of glory. Say, no more chains, no more sin, no more fleshly body. I'm, I'm just going to escape this. I'm done. I'm just going to behold Jesus, and when I see him, it's going to be beautiful. That's heaven. That's heaven. Third thing that Paul says there, um, Paul, Paul tells us to look to the things that are unseen and eternal. Let me read again verse 17 and 18. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Man, you and I have no concept of eternity. Like, our culture is just a stinking microwave, man. Like, I, like, like, we put things in the microwave, we expect them to be done right now. I mean, we have phones that have everything at our fingertips right now, all the time. And man, I'm complaining, like, this is crazy. Last night, I'm watching a baseball game in bed on my phone. And I'm complaining that it took 10 seconds to load instead of 5 seconds. Are you kidding me? Like, that's our culture. Like, we want things now, we want to see the results now, we want to produce now, we want what we want right now, and if it doesn't give me the outcome, I'm done with it, right? If it doesn't give me the outcome right now, I'm done with it. Everything in our lives is about what we need now, but listen to me. Listen to me. The Christian life, the Christian life is, is not about living for what I need now not about living for what I want now. It's about living for what I want most. 
want to say that again. The Christian life is not about living for what I want now. It's about living for what I want most. So that's this whole idea that seeking joy in God is the greatest pleasure in the universe. We are seeking pleasure. If someone tells you that the Christian life is not about enjoying yourself, that is a lie. The Christian life is about living for what you desire most instead of what you desire now. And so sin is all about what I need now. And overcoming sin is that realizing and doing so, that's just going to get you more of Jesus. Not that you've got to earn it. Not that he hasn't already called you a son or daughter if he believes in you. But the Christian life is about getting closer and closer to Jesus. It's about walking closely with him. It's about looking more like him and saying that he is the thing I want most. There are things I want now that would take me off track from walking towards him. And so even though I want those things now, I want him most. And so I'm just going to keep plugging on. I'm just going to keep trying. That's what sanctification is. It's looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, because he's the one carrying you. These things over here are transient, temporary, worthless, meaningless compared to the eternal weight of glory when you see him face to face and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And so here, here's where we come to the answer of our question for the night. Does life go better with Christ? Turn over to Philippians 1. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1. Does life go better with Christ? Paul says this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if you can truly say that, if you can truly gain that perspective, then your life may be full of suffering, and yet full of joy in Christ. Full of joy in Christ. It, John Piper says it like this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And so tonight, here's what I want to ask you. What satisfies you? What satisfies you? What brings you happiness? What brings you fulfillment? Like what, what is it that gets you through the day when you're having a bad day? Like, are you, are you saying, man, if I can just get through this day, then I'll go home to this. I'll have this. Maybe it's a relationship, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend. If I can just get through the day, then I can call them and it'll be okay. Maybe it's your parents' approval. Maybe it's parties. Maybe, maybe that's your thing on the weekends. You say, you know what? I'm grinding through the week because on the weekends I want to seek all the pleasure I can have in, in alcohol and partying and and all these things, sexual experiences, all these things, maybe that's your thing, and maybe you say, that's what gets me through the week. What satisfies you? And we can talk all day about, you know, intellectual arguments for God, like, you know, I'm, I'm an agnostic, or I'm an atheist, I don't believe in this thing. But, but and we can, we can have that discussion, there's an appropriate place for that, but here's what I want to ask you. What satisfies you? Like, are you deeply satisfied? Are you fulfilled? Do you feel like things are okay? Do you have 
peace despite circumstances. Your best friend dies. Your dad takes off. Your mom gets cancer. Are you okay? Are you okay? What satisfies what's underneath? And then to that, I would say that the only thing that gets us there, the only thing that brings us there is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, you can spend all your life trying to be moral and thinking that in following the rules you're going to be satisfied. I tried it for a lot of years. And then you can spend all your life thinking that searching for fulfillment through drinking and parties and um, just escaping the rules of God is going to... You can spend all your life looking for that. But here's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul would say it like this. When the veil is removed and when he causes you to see him, you see the radiance of his glory and you understand that he is better than anything else. And the only way that happens is by trusting and believing in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what, what satisfies you? Because whatever that thing is, that's what you're glorifying. Let's pray. God, I, I'm like a, a little kid that's playing in the mud and then you picked me up and turned me around and showed me that I was right at the edge of the ocean and that I had a, 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 an ocean of glory in front of me to enjoy for all eternity and all I had to do was trust in you and believe that you're better and believe that you lived and you died and rose for my sake. That's all I had to do. That's the only thing, I mean, that's the only thing I can bring into this thing is just that I believe in you. And so I pray for these students in the room, those that have not found their rest in you, those that have not found their satisfaction in you, that we would understand that you are most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in you and that despite suffering, despite loss, despite temporary things that we don't like going through, despite having to forego earthly pleasures, you are better than all that. And when we understand that, we're made free to live for you, to enjoy you, and walk in fullness of life. And so God, I pray that you would impress that upon the hearts of every person in this room. And we would seek to glorify you by enjoying you forever because you are ultimately better. It's for your beautiful name that we pray.